I just wanted to say a big thank you right up front, even before we get into today's show, just to all of you who send feedback and put notes on social media and comments and ratings around the Leading on the Field sports leadership series of shows that we did, series of interviews. I think we all learned a lot from those conversations, and I'm just really grateful to these individuals who you know work under extreme pressure and scrutiny and hold essentially the expectations of a nation uh, in their hands and in their hearts as they do their work. And I certainly personally learned a lot from those conversations and I hope you did too. And if you did, I'm gonna ask you again, please, um, this show is only as impactful as the number of people that it can reach. And if you have found it useful, if you have found it insightful, if you do find it interesting, it would really go a long way. It'd make me most grateful if you could share it with your networks or with individuals that you work with, uh, friends that could possibly benefit from it as well, pop a rating on Apple Podcasts, whatever it might be. Every little bit helps, and I would certainly be most grateful if you could assist us with that. Hanging over today's show, though, is a sort of a burning platform question in the business world, uh, an issue that despite having decades to figure it out, is still a major problem, a major challenge for so many of my clients. and for many of the clients I worked with in the past and many of the organizations I talked to today. Uh, and that is why, after having so much time to figure it out, are so many technology projects and programs in business doomed to fail? Why is digital transformation and digital integration still so often characterized by misaligned interpretations and expectations? Why is so much money spent with so little impact and who are the organizations that are getting it right and why and how? And my guests on the show today are Wayne Weirs and Butlari Ricotso of Basalt. Uh, I've known Wayne for many years. We worked together at his previous employers, Aqua, and then uh, Base2, where he was a partner in the business. Uh, he's now started Basalt as a really a fintech-focused uh, development and software solutions business. They won Technology Company of the Year at Africa Tech Week in 2020, so they've clearly been making waves. They're doing something different in their ability to match client expectations with beautiful and effective delivery. Um, they reached out to me a couple of months ago to say that they felt that they had something really relevant to share on the show. And considering the show is all about leadership, technology, and impact, I thought it would be ideal to speak to the two of them to understand what is it, what is the secret sauce that Basalt has uncovered that enables them, I guess, to do this work so effectively over and over again. And I um, really enjoyed our conversation. Um, I hope you will too. And like I said before, if you are enjoying the One-Eyed Man podcast, um, I'd be most grateful if you could share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks again, guys, and I hope you enjoy the discussion. So, gents, thanks so much for joining me on, a, on another moody, cloudy Joburg morning, which is definitely not in the, in the script. Uh, VT, I was, I was wondering if I could maybe start with you. One of the things that stands out on your site, on the Basalt site, is a very deliberate focus on fintech and banking clients. Talk me through your decision to focus on that market. And was that an intentional thing or has it been a sort of natural byproduct of the clients that you tend to partner with by default? Thanks for having us, Mike. I think it's a, it's, it's a little bit of both. Obviously, you know, when you, when you start a business, you need to have a focus. And we thought there's a market for doing fintech, right? I think in South Africa, our banks are fintechs. 
it means that the ground is ripe for us to, you know, to kind of work in, in that mm. specific market. And I think that's why we've we've focused uh, mainly on it. We don't have any problem working in any other industry, but we deliberately want to focus on financial services. Yeah, I think that's a really great strategy, especially when your service offering is pretty broad. Wayne, you know, you've had experience working as an interface between clients and the developers and engineers behind the scenes that make, you know, clients' expectations possible for many years. Talk to me about how you're bringing some of those experiences into the cultural DNA of, of Basalt. There's this the sense that you guys focus really strongly on partnership. What does that mean in, in reality? How does it come to life in your client relationships? So it's, it's an interesting question, and thank you. You know, what I've looked at previously where we've had like uh, almost what we called suits or client service people interfacing, mm-hmm. as you said, interfacing with clients, and uh, the landscape's totally changed today. And what we have and pride and position ourselves is our, our technologists, engineers, actually communicate and work directly with our clients. And, you know, that, that's where the smarts and the intelligence is. So to have stuff in the middle and throwing things around and misinterpretation of ideas and technology, which is so complicated and complex at times, it's mm. best to work directly. So that seems to be working really, really well for us. Um, the trick then is making sure that we are hiring and onboarding the right individuals that uh, have a personality uh, as well as can communicate and, and code and develop at the same time. So very, very difficult to find that type of individual. But again, you know, there's some kind of introverted, but it's still be able to understand and communicate what they know very well. So we find that just works exceptionally well. Um, and in the partnership space, it's, it's really, you know, one team of how we collaborate and build together on what we want to achieve and have a shared vision. It's a really interesting position because I think one of the mistakes that certainly digital agencies or, or agencies that had a strong marketing or advertising pedigree that that progressed more into the digital space uh, had this really unrealistic expectation of client service people needing to be business analysts. And it's a very specific skill. And and obviously, being agencies, we, <laughs> we typically didn't equip those people to do that job. And then we were surprised when they failed. I, I think it's really interesting that you've brought that relationship between the let's call it the technologist or engineer directly into the conversation with the client and i'm sure that your engineers appreciate that immediacy as well i do want to talk to you a lot about talent and a lot about recruitment and a lot about how you find the right types of people to do that work but you know this topic of digital transformation and uh, you, you know using software in innovative new ways to solve both employee and customer problems is has been a big part of the conversation that you and I have had with our clients over the last two decades, I guess. What are some of the biggest mistakes that you've seen service providers make? I mean, you've alluded to one already, but other service providers make that you guys, VT, are, are, are doing differently uh, from the ground up, you know, in the way you deliver services. So obviously, being being an engineer, I've you know I started straight out of varsity, and yeah. you know work into worked in an agency and you know serviced a lot of a lot of clients. Um, yes. I think you know when when I was starting out, I was very naive, right? I only cared about the technology, and and as an engineer, yeah. you you know you want to work on Greenfields projects, you want to work on the latest technology, um, and mm. you you don't really focus uh, more on the on the business value. Uh, that you, you you're delivering as long as your code compiles, you, yeah. you're kind of happy. But as 
And as I was growing in my career, I started realizing that there's a gap between the delivery team most of the times and the, you know, the business that is, is actually selling the products that you produce. And um, so I looked a lot into, you know, things like uh, agility in corporate spaces. And you, yeah. you, you start to notice a trend. You, you look at things like safe, uh, scalable, agile for enterprises. And mm-hmm. you look at that as an attempt to, to solve the issues that they, they have with delivery. Uh, you look at the, the bloat that you have in teams. Um, sometimes you find a team of 20 people delivering something that could be done by five people. And the reason for that is because corporates add more and more people to projects uh, in an attempt to bridge that gap between engineers and business. So, you know, with, with, with our business, with what Wayne said, saying that, you know, getting the engineers as very close uh, to, to business as possible and being intentional in our hiring, making sure that we're hiring people with personality, people who are very comfortable discussing the ideas and sometimes disagreeing uh, with, uh, w- with clients. I, I think that has helped us a lot and has revealed to us that maybe the existing models uh, for agencies don't work. And there are a lot of reasons for that. One of them being at times in materials uh, business. Uh, as, mm-hmm, as long mm-hmm. as that's how you make your you make your buck, what you're going to do is you're going to try and maximize the amount of hours, uh, so you thrive in chaos. And yeah. so if that's how you you make your money, there's almost no incentive for you to correct it. But you know, with uh, Persolve being um, a vision-led business. Uh, you know, we're not led by uh, by profit and not saying that profit is not important, but, you know, that's not our core. We we are people before code. Uh, so we're always seeking out uh, opportunities to make sure that we actually service our clients uh, by having, you know, much smaller teams, uh, having more senior, you know, people in the project and making sure that, you know, we, we try to bridge that communication gap between, uh, you know, business and, and the delivery team. So I'd love to hear more about that purpose-led orientation of yours. Wayne, I, you know, you over the years would have heard a lot of clients expecting nothing short of wizardry from technology and engineering teams, whether they're internal or external. And and I suppose you would have worked with many engineers and technologists, like you know, like VT pointed out when you know, in the early part of his career was just wanted to build great stuff and just wanted to express his skills and his his creativity, which is perfectly understandable. It seems to me that one of the gaps between what clients want and what we can do from an engineering perspective is, is an issue of literacy. There is a lack of, uh, you know, and this is a generalization, but in my experience, there, there was often a lack of business and value literacy on the, on the side of the engineering teams. And there was a lack of technological understanding and appreciation on the client side. And very often part of the job of the agency or service provider was education and translation between those two worlds. Um, do you find that that's still a very big part of, of your work? Or do you think that clients have become more technologically capable and literate and that engineers have discovered that they need to contextualize their talent in terms of business value to be able to do their work better? So what's interesting is I did a dip stick with one of our clients um, on a really well-organized team that delivers exceptionally well and fast. And um, what was interesting there was we said, what is the most important thing or what do you think is the most important thing to the clients? And they said um, the tech stack that we're working on and the smart technology and how we've structured the architecture and how it's built. 
And then we said the same thing question to the client, you know, what do you think is important to you as a client in terms of the product that we're busy building? And they're saying, we don't actually care about the technology. It's not, it's important. We just, it's not important to us. We just want to know sure. like, how fast we can actually deliver and the, that the quality yeah. is of the highest standard. So already there's an example of totally a one team working exceptionally well together, but the output expectations is, is so different. So where one's focusing on pushing the best tech, the other's just saying, well, you know, average tech but get it done quickly and amazingly and with the highest quality that that'll sort that out so it's having these relationships and connecting those dots i think historically and even today like uh, technology is a hot potato you know it's it's complex it's it's you know not everyone gets it and even you know how the more you get to know the more there is still to know so there's an insecurity around understanding it and pretending one and uh, one understands what it is and what the tech is but I think it's really just having the openness and honesty around, you know, there's experts that are in here to do what they do and do it exceptionally well, trust in that and let them deliver. The trick then is obviously making sure that whoever's working on the technology is not a big black hole that uh, no one gets to understand or no one is communicated correctly. So at Basalt, we also pride ourselves in, you know, bringing the issues to the front line. These are the challenges. This is where we are. This is a mess. This is doing well. So that you know everyone is has trust and uh, on the same page with what the product is or, or business we're trying to build. Yeah, and sort of further to that, Wayne. I mean, a lot a lot of being able to pull that off is not just bringing issues to the forefront or expressing very clearly the expectations or deliverables that that clients, both clients and engineers, have, but but also knowing what to say no to. How do you think about? which projects to take on and not to take on. And, you know, somebody once said to me, you, you're defined by what you turn down, not what you take on. What, what, how do you evaluate the possibilities of a project together? And, and what, what types of projects do you end up turning down in your experience? So I think that it's, it's never easy to, to know from the offset, but also sometimes you can work that out quite quickly or in the first couple of weeks as just not aligned in culture or values or, or shared purpose. I actually got some actuaries in Australia to do a client selection model modeling where we could actually input data and say, well, this is a good client or not based on mm, many mm. criteria. So is it a vertical we're working on? Do we have experience in this sector? Do we have to relearn who the customer's audiences or the segments are? Is this client aligned to our value system? So there's a whole bunch of criteria. It's, it's very academic in that sense, but uh, Really, you know, we've we've had experiences of working in the same for the same client slash brand, but different departments where it's just talk and cheese. But you know, it's again yeah, yeah. the personalities of the individuals, how they manage their teams, our teams, and again, it's people. We're working in, in, with people, so there's going to be complexities and variables around different individuals that are coming together, you know. So, but I think what, what's important for us is, you know, I, I've come to realize that having a highly skilled senior team in technology that is arrogant and knows it all and all that um, doesn't deliver as fast as a team that is, you know, pretty average maybe, but the team dynamics is just phenomenal. So they're sharing, there's learning, there's growing. They, you know, the velocity in terms of the delivery with that team is far, far um, outweighs the other. So, you know, it, it's yeah, it's different clients. It's, you can you can you see a trend on how these things work or pan out. If this is your first time listening to the One-Eyed Man and you're wondering what I'm trying to achieve here, why don't you take a moment to go back to the trailer episode at the beginning of season one? It's really short, I promise, and will give you some insight and context. If you're enjoying the show, please consider sharing this episode or the One-Eyed Man channel with well 
all of your friends in the entire world. And now, back to the show. VT, um, this this notion of digital transformation, which I speak about quite a lot and have tried you know, through the medium of both research and then developing new models and new conversations, uh, try to define better. But there's a sense that it's used as a a sort of catch-all term for kind of everything. Uh, (laughs) All all the new things that we're interested in as a business get lumped into the, the digital transformation phrase. How do you think about digital technology and software as a specifically as a transformative force? Uh, you speak a lot about the transformational power of technology on on your website. How do you think about that? Uh, in is that a, is that a cultural thing? Is it an economic thing? Is it a very practical thing? What does that word mean to you in context of the work that you do? It's a very nuanced uh, type of thing. I mean, we've we've seen people and even our government fall into traps of things like you know talking about uh, the fourth industrial revolution, um, you know, and just like slapping four uh, IR on everything, um, regardless yeah. of, of, of of what it means. No, recently I was looking into what uh, the Daily Maverick have done, right, where uh, they spoke mm. about um, under investing in technology. Uh, which I found uh, hmm. quite interesting, and um, I think it, it's important uh, for you know for businesses to understand the business they in first uh, before trying to see how technology works. If you if, if if you look at the startup landscape in South Africa, you have a bunch of people with ideas around apps they want to build, right? Uh, and when you when you start to mm, ask what's mm. the bu- what's the business case, what problem are you solving, and and all of that, a lot of people kind of like have a blank stare. Uh, they don't they don't have an answer. They they yeah. they, they just they just saw uh, someone in Silicon Valley create an app, and they think that's where you start, and then you figure it out. The kind of build it, and there will come kind of mentality. But we 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 think of it uh, a bit differently this side. You know, Wayne is always saying that you know we. We're not here to just try to build technology for technology's sake, but we have an, a, a unique opportunity to leverage technology to solve real problems. So when you when you look mm. at a country like South Africa, where you have like a, a problem with uh, you know with with crime, you have a problem with education, uh, you have a problem with uh, with hunger. We we start to look at how can we leverage the technology that we have mm. uh, to make mm. sure we solve those problems. And when you start to look at it that way, then it's not about looking at the shiniest and, and you know, uh, newest piece of technology that's available, uh, but looking more at what's relevant to try and, and, and combat the problem that we have right now. Because when you, when you have a business that's just jumping into inappropriately applying technology to a problem, you run into cases like we have right now with misinformation, right? Where uh, news, uh, you know, news corporations have ended up having this clickbaity uh, kind of articles on platforms like Twitter just because they want to be first. So I think digital transformation is about kind of first looking at the problem and also determining whether technology is an appropriate solution to the problem. And and sometimes it's not like a fully fledged technological solution uh, that you need. Sometimes it's a, a technology is a subset to you know delivering the solution. It's it's that. I think uh, digital transformation is about making sure that we leverage the technology that we have access to to solve very real problems. 
your USP as a business, I guess, your your differentiator is the talent you have, just like any people-oriented business. And I mean, I know running a business that offered both creative and technological solutions that often demand far exceeds supply, not just in volume, but but in quality as well. And there's such enormous pressure on the talent pipeline to get the right people into opportunities so that they can gain experience quickly and be deployed in, into what is a, a space ripe for development and, and growth. As you rightly point out, software provides us with this opportunity to really change some fundamental issues uh, and, and reorient economic uh, possibilities in new ways. Wayne, you know, we've spoken briefly about the importance of having you know, really high quality individuals in front of clients, but also the importance of culture and purpose in attracting that talent. There's also, you know, it would be remiss of us not to mention that in South Africa specifically, a lot of really talented technologists get snatched up pretty quickly into the corporate space. And that's not a bad thing at all. It's great for them, but it can be quite difficult for service providers like yourself. Talk to me a little bit about your talent strategy as a as a business and some of the the challenges that you've had to overcome over the last couple of years. Yeah, so you know, I think it starts off with you know the culture of the company, which is like exceptionally critical and one of the things I focus heavily on. If that is one of the main the main things I can focus on, because that's the kind of glue and the dynamic that brings the team together in order to have that happy sandbox or sandpit to to all express and and do the good work that we do. So, you know, in all the learnings in the past, you know, when, when even interviewing or meeting people for the first time, it's, you know, it's, it's not asking the, the kind of common interviewing questions around skills, expertise, you know. For me, I don't even look at the CVs because it's not what you've done, it's what you're actually going to do in the business and move forward into. So you're, it's almost like your data set of what you've done, but now, you know, what can you use in that to move forward? And that's the questions I yeah. like to ask. Um, but yeah. also to understand like, does that individual's core values and purpose align to mine and that of the company? Um, and being, you know, having a purpose drive that runs the culture, maybe that the market doesn't see or it's not uh, clear to the market, but in the, in terms of the team's culture, it's, it's very clear. So once the person's values align to ours, it makes it a hell of a lot easier for that person and everyone else. And, you know, I've always believed you can't employ someone to be more creative, more positive, more passionate when the values and purpose are aligned, that is a natural, a natural um, path mm. that everyone mm. follows. So, so that, that has really been exceptionally important for us. And then obviously there's a talent drain globally on technological skills. So, you know, what are those things that motivate people to be in a company as us, as Basalt? Um, and a lot of it is around, you know, working on smart solutions, being able to explore, fail fast, you know, you know, it's quite a, cliche and like building things to break things to to learning and then coming together again you know because it's unknown territory in the future and exploring those uh, those solutions so yeah those are kind of a couple of principles that we have in place and things that we do for our talent and uh, put together and also no egos no attitude no hierarchy um no one is less or more important than anyone else in the company we all work together and we're only as good as we are together you know, it's an example of like an intern is not naive or stupid in a sense as to that they don't know what they're doing. They just lack experience. Mm. So mm. how do we build and use that? And, you know, from the intern, the young, the younger generations moving through the business, there's some great learnings and insights. And uh, 
Also, like how fast younger individuals can pick up technology and stacks and learn multi-stacks like over a weekend even in times um, where you've yeah. got uh, specialized in, uh, individuals who have been in this for 20, 30 years but uh, just you know can't pick up a new language that quickly or understand like why we need to adapt so fast. You know, That was the mm-hmm. language you learned and that's what we're going to do and deliver. So great ref- refreshing stuff that comes out of that too, which is uh, so appreciated. VT, a lot of your job is is keeping those technology teams aligned and motivated and awake. <laughs> I've worked with developers before. You guys are a different species, man. Um, how do you, you know, if you're speaking to somebody who's really talented in the industry and reaches out to you and says, why would I consider shifting and, and coming to work with you guys? What, what sorts of conversations do you have with them? And how do you describe how you are different uh, as an organization to them? It's quite interesting because I always think back to why I joined the business, right? Yeah. So obviously I, I, I met with Wayne once when he tried to get me into the business. He he heard about me from someone. I met him for coffee. I, I said to him, our values are aligned, right? I, I feel like uh, you're the kind of person that I, like I've known my whole life, but I'm not ready to, to join your business. And when <laughs> I'm happy when, to date, but I don't want to get married. Exactly. And, you know, as soon as my circumstances changed, I gave him a call. And I think it it took all of five minutes for us to decide that we're going to work together. So uh, I always draw on that when talking to other developers. I I think the phrase I maybe abuse is that we're going to create an environment where you can be the engineer that you've always wanted to be. Right. And Mm. it's a very that's a very bold promise. but yeah, it, yeah. We, we we try to we, we try to keep to it as much as possible. So you find you find some people who are like myself. They they, they talk quite a lot and are very eager to always be standing in front of like a suit and uh, and and talking about like business and the strategy and whatnot. But you also find the hyper talented uh, developers who want to sit in a corner. And just write the code, uh, but like provide a lot of value in, in that space. So what I do uh, on, on a daily basis is try to figure out how to make sure that every developer in the business is comfortable in the role that they're playing while, of course, delivering value. A lot of businesses, especially agencies, don't really care much about your career aspirations. It's about where I need to place you for me to make the most uh, amount of money, right? So you find you find people who are like, very comfortable consulting, but you also find people who want to work more on, on products. So we, you know, we have a long-term plan to provide that uh, for, you know, for, for everyone. We, some, some people uh, are more than happy to work very long hours. Some people want to uh, stick to the eight hours. So we try to make sure that we mm. provide an environment that is, is you know, like is suited for, for the individual. Also, you know, as the head of technology in the business, most people will think I make all the decisions in terms of yeah. technology. <laughs> but I, I draw, I draw a lot on the talent that we have in the in, in the business. I, sure, I, sure. I often, you know, set up like one-on-ones with developers in the business. I try to find out what tech are they playing with, uh, where do they think it would be most suited, what kind of project would they uh, like to work on. And I've, I've seen that, you know, having those discussions make it very easy for us when having conversations with potential clients to say, oh, actually, you know what, um, 
uh, I, I just spoke to, to, to one, one developer last week who was speaking about how exciting Python is for, you know, for data science or how exciting, uh, you know, a language like Golang could be for, you know, for, for uh, kind of modernizing the, the, the banking sector. So it, it, it's always that, right, uh, a, an environment where you're not going to be met with ego, where your, mm, your, mm. your ideas are, are, are welcome, where we're always going to be very open and honest um, and, and, and really just, you know, uh, make decisions based on, on, on data and, and, and the merit of the ideas as opposed to, uh, okay, I'm, I'm the boss, uh, so you have to do what I say. Um, and I think a lot of developers uh, really want that. I know I wanted that. I wanted a space where I felt important. I wanted a space where, you know, uh, there was some psychological safety as well. So I could try something and fail yes, and yes. then not, not have that be the end of the world or the end of my career. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's so important. And I think, it, you know, your point around being the head of technology, the CTO, the leader, doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the expert in all of those, uh, all of those stacks, all of those approaches, all of those strategies. It's, it's about surrounding yourself with the right type of talent and then amplifying their ability to do so. I think that's really wise. And, uh, not everybody thinks that way. So that's a, you know, a credit to your, your leadership chops. Wayne, you know, if we look back on the last year and a half, it's, it's obviously been an incredibly disruptive and difficult time for a lot of small businesses, a lot of medium sized businesses. Um, I don't think we can call you guys a small business anymore. What are some of the lessons you and your team have learned that have maybe been surprising uh, over the last year or so? And, and how do you think it will change the way you guys work moving forwards? So, yeah, it's, it's been this, so much reflection, which actually makes it such a beautiful place to be, especially with the kind of challenges everyone has experienced. But it probably needed a little bit of a shift and a shake up to get to that point. Yeah. You know, one of the most interesting is we're always saying adaptability, agility, changing, moving faster, quicker. And it was always, you know, we, we will, we'll try on a topic of a theme and, you know, Within 24 hours, 48 hours, big corporations were actually able to adapt and change. So it wasn't that no one could. It just was, you know, what was the reason really? And there was no, like, drive as such. So that was a great experience yeah, for yeah. us to see, like, overnight everyone can be remote. Corporations can be remote. Uh, let's fast-track policies. Let's look at uh, how do we circumnavigate through um, compliance and governance to do this. So, you know, it, one has to realize there's always excuses, but the, the reality is we can't do these things, which was quite good. Um, the mm. other thing was that, you know, a culture and, and individuals learning so much about people as well. So from home to, you know, people are people. We're not, you know, where we got to work and we're a different persona. We actually still are the same individuals and we get to learn about who has dogs, who has children, and people bring and staff bringing their kids onto calls, and we just become a lot more real with each other, which was so um, fun and great to see. Um, and yeah. then, you know, like everyone had different challenges. No one had, wasn't a blanket approach. Someone might have children and trying to do homeschooling at the same time, but they were no less or more important to someone who was actually on their own for three months, not seeing another human being working 12 hours a day or eight hours a day because they just needed to fill their time with with something. And then, you yeah. know, like there, there were stages where we thought maybe we need to bring like a psychologist in to see, you know, how everyone's doing and that. And, and what I actually just did was have a half an hour with every single employee and just, you know, how you're doing emotionally, physically, mentally, um, where you act and open honest conversation saying, you know, 
I too have challenges. These are my challenges. This is where I'm feeling. You know, I'm a bit nervous of this, unsure of that. Yeah. And we, we didn't need professionals. We just needed to have good conversations with people. And that, that went so far. And it was amazing. And then, you know, we had, we had meetings without agendas. So every like, end of the week, Fridays, we would have, you know, there's no agenda. Let's just all chat and catch up. How's everyone doing? How's yeah. the week's been? So, yeah, really, like, great stuff in terms of that, which we'd never normally have experienced. It would have been very transactional, you know, go home, go to work, do your thing, go home, we've got to work. So I really appreciated that. But not saying it was easy. So, you know, to keep sure. you know, people motivated and the company culture going when there's so much um, external and, um, and still going into this year. So, but again, I, I, a lot of this based on principles. When, you know, to the Sunday night, I had a with the whole company and we didn't know we were just going into the first lockdown I said you know that in order to get this right this uh, we need to make sure that we can over communicate because we're not seeing each other we need to respect each other because we don't know what everyone else is experiencing um, mm, and we need mm. to be patient because you know someone might not be able to join on the call and have challenges it doesn't mean we get frustrated and cross with each other let's just be calm and be patient around that and it worked for us for last year and it was uh, something to be proud of yeah, I mean, guys, I have a sincere appreciation for the the challenge of starting new businesses. And if that wasn't hard enough, then starting a new business in the technology space where there is a, a shortage of talent and all sorts of complexities, some of which we've spoken about to navigate. But then to do all of that in the midst of, of COVID is, uh, and to still do well, to grow, to be winning awards, you guys are clearly doing something right. There's There's something in your recipe um, that is producing uh, the right outcomes. And I uh, yeah, just want to encourage you guys. It, it sounds like from a culture perspective, you have people aligned around purpose, which is always a big challenge. VT, I'm sure there'll, there'll be people you know, listening to, to the show who would love to connect or reach out or find out more information about you guys. Where's the, where's the best place to find you and, and to have conversations with you? So that's, uh, that's crazy because of um, an effort I've taken this year uh, where, you know, in, in December I deleted uh, my Instagram account. Uh, so I'm off Facebook, uh-huh. uh, I'm off Instagram. And uh, about three weeks ago, I deleted Twitter off my phone uh, with the intention of only using it on my computer. And I've, I've realized that just has like led me to a, to a place where I'm not very active on social media um, anymore. I'm sure you're um, happier though. I am much happier. I'm, I'm, finding <laughs> more, uh, I'm finding more time for, uh, for family. And I'm realizing that at, at some point I was neglecting people, uh, especially you know, my wife mm. And, and, mm. and my daughter. But with, with, with that said, um, I do find time to check my emails. Uh, so, you know, people can email me at vt at basalt.co. I also, you know, periodically check my LinkedIn uh, account. So that's just my first name. Uh, so Butlari Rekozo. Uh, so I think you can put it on, on the show notes for people to, uh, to find me. Uh, and sure, also, we'll look, I, I, I do try to go on Twitter as well to just check if someone is trying to interact with me. So that's uh, VT underscore codes um so yeah i think look um i'm, I'm more than happy to um uh, to chat to people most of the people that I, I i speak to on a regular basis like just give me a call i'm not gonna yeah, put yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna uh, announce my phone number here uh, but you know if people reach, <laughs> cool. reach out to me through the platforms of you know i've mentioned I'm, I'm more than happy you know to give them my number and for for us to chat further 
look, I I'm, I'm really I'm really really passionate about you know about helping helping people just be beyond just joining our business. Um, yeah. there, there are a few people you know with startups uh, in, in in the country that I you know I have like standing meetings with to try and help uh, in terms of you know what I learn you know in a very formal way and to see how they can apply that in the you know in the small businesses to you know almost guarantee uh, better chances of success. Great, Wayne. You I assume you're on uh, Wayne at Basel.co. Yep, that's correct. Cool. Or LinkedIn is also another great way to catch up. Or you can phone our landline. I'm joking. Um, yeah. <laughs> Smoke signals. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> so, Guys, it's been a, a great pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for taking time out of what I'm sure is a very busy schedule at the moment. And yeah, I look forward to see what you'll achieve in 2021 and the years ahead. Amazing, Mark. Thank you. And thank you for having us on your show. You've been listening to the One-Eyed Man podcast. I'm Mike Stopforth, an entrepreneur, writer, and public speaker, deeply curious about discovering better ways to lead and better ways to live in an increasingly complex world. I find the best source of these ideas is the experience and wisdom of interesting people who are taking unconventional approaches to solving the world's most compelling problems. If you'd like to hear from someone I haven't yet spoken to, visit MikeStopforth.com click on the podcast link and send through your suggestions. A big thanks to the Solid Gold Podcast Studios in Johannesburg, South Africa for making this production possible. And remember, in the land of the blind, the one-eyed man slash person is king. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.